Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans. I'm Clint. Thank you for joining me to this. I'm so excited to get into what I'm going to share with you today. But before that, oh, I know what you're thinking I was going to say. You're thinking I was going to talk about my sponsor, and I will, but not yet. I've got some shouts out to make because since I published my last episode, I have had some quality, quality interaction with listeners. And so... I would like to start, with, and and that is actually going to provide some of our content today, so it's a really good. Um, I would like to give a shout out to a guy in my Army Reserve unit, Joseph Utna Bacorn. I appreciate your feedback on uh, something that you thought, you know, it'd be cool if you did, and guess what? I am going to do it, and you all, the rest of the listeners, will find out what it is when I actually do it. Another cool shout-out that I want to give is to Isaac Smith. Isaac Smith hooked me up with a, uh, a lot of content about the Mathesons. Really interesting stuff, which will probably find its way into an episode in the not-too-distant future. And I'm guys, if you're listening to this and you want to hear about a specific aspect of Scottish clans, whether it's a clan that you have a strong connection to, whether it's an aspect of the clans, it really doesn't hurt to make that request by hooking me up with some content because I'm limited by what I can access from sources. All right, so I would, uh, yeah, yeah, reach out the Scottish clans at gmail.com is the very best way. And actually, Isaac and another person who I'm going to mention here in a minute, that is how they reached out. Actually, two other people that I'm going to mention that I haven't done so far. They, so three of the, right? Three, one, two, three, four, five. Three of the five people that I am giving shouts out to it was through my Gmail here that's attached to this podcast. So reach out to me. If, if it's, you know, sometimes I see Messenger. That's the easy way because people find me on the Facebook group, the Scottish Clans. They find that and they just go on Messenger. And I, I get a lot of those. It's not, not an awful way to get a hold of me. Um, but it's sometimes I miss those more than I miss the, the emails. So thescottishclans at gmail.com if... You want to ask some specific questions. Um, the Facebook group itself, man, there's a lot of water that gets under the bridge without me seeing it, if you know what I mean. Like just a lot of content. I don't, I'm not on Facebook a ton. And when I am, it's actually mostly on that group. But just different ways to get in touch with me, but the best is the, the Gmail, thescottishclans at gmail.com. Um, before I go and mention the other two, I am going to slide in a word to my sponsor right here. The sponsor is USA Kilts. So glad that I got into contact with Rocky a few years ago. Actually, back in 2020, I was studying Spanish for the Army in Monterey, California at the Defense Language Institute. And I reached out to him, guys. Just want you to know that. And he was so cool, and it's been good to interact with him ever since then. And he's, he's done well by me. Um, I've found even when I call in to take care of some business and they don't know that they are sponsoring me, it's somebody else, not Rocky, I get treated well just because that's their policy there. They just, I've had good experiences with them even though when they, when they don't know that I have a connection. So, and I'm, I'm very happy 
to endorse their products because I have really liked my both of my kilts that I own from them and my other things that go with kilts like my kilt hose, my flashes, my kilt belt and belt buckle, which I'm proudly rocking the Welsh dragon on. So guys, USA kilts, if you're in the market for any of that kind of stuff, also go to um, their YouTube channel, check them out, USA kilts and Celtic traditions, tons of cool content on there too. Guys, um, I've got a few more shouts out here and that's going to actually, some of it's going to take us directly into today's episode. The, um, Another shout out I want to make is to Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hunt reached out to me. I think he started on Messenger actually, but we we've been talking about he's been studying some DNA stuff as it pertains to clans. Really interesting stuff out there. Also, he hooked me up with a little paper on Cormac McArbertach. And I may have just destroyed that, but Isaac Smith that I mentioned earlier the Hattle of Matheson content said that my efforts at pronouncing Gaelic are pretty good considering I didn't grow up in the Gaeltacht. So thank you, Isaac, for that compliment. Um, I didn't take that to mean I'm perfect on all of it, but noteworthy, maybe. You preach, maybe maybe it's my effort. <laughs> I get a 10, a scale, 10 on a scale of 10 for effort, for sure. But uh, anyway, I got a, got a compliment there. But Ethan has been reaching out. We're, we're working on a little collaboration for some DNA stuff. So if you're interested in that, you know, that's, that's out there in the near future. Uh, it's something that he's given a lot of effort to and, and that t- content on Cormac McArbertach, which factors into the origin stories of some clans. So thank you for that, Ethan. So he's been interacting with me there. Um, and then also the next one is going to be Lovett Fraser, who I believe I've mentioned here before the... The episode I did two episodes ago on Simon Fraser, Lord Lovett, and his role in the Jacobite Risings of 1715 and 1745, uh, a lot of that had to do with a, as a head nod to Lovett. I, I actually went back to a request from him because he has con- contributed so much. Um, and in this case, I, when I published on the Facebook group, the because I always post my new episodes on the Facebook group, Scottish Clans. And he actually um, reached out, corrected me on something. And guys, I don't mind being corrected, especially when you're quoting other Scottish historians and professors and not just getting all emotional about stuff, which some people do, not very often, but some people do. He actually said this about my use of the term Hanoverian in the last episode and probably in episodes before that. He said, hello, Clint. Thanks for your podcast and all the best with the job change. Just a couple of thoughts about the podcast. Whilst the Georges were a mix of Stuart and Hanoverian heritage, the real power was the Whig party who had retained power for decades. The Whig, the Whigs, outlawed their main opposition, the Tory party, and I would also suspect that they outlawed the Jacobite party. Historians now tend to use British government over Hanoverian. The scale of the clan involvement in the 1744-45 can be understood by the actual Highlanders fielded. Of the 30,000 available fighting men in the Highlands, only 2,000 were active. Hmm. I am also trying to find out if there were Americans in the Georgia Rangers 
who were active in harrying the Jacobite army in retreat. Now, that would be really interesting to look into. Sorry, that's not his quote. That was me commenting on his quote. Back to the quote. Lastly, Lord Lovett is usually known as Hemi, or, or and he spells it two different ways. Here is Sarah Fraser speaking about it. So he hooked me up with a YouTube clip to watch, uh, which I, I apparently haven't watched yet. I hadn't gotten to that part yet, but I was just so wrapped around the axle about Hanoverian. And I was like, oh, okay, dang, I need to, need to fix that. And I was so excited to record this next episode so I could get in there and fix that, that I haven't even gone back and listened to Sarah Fraser talking about that. But I can't wait to do it. Um, anyway, so he said to keep up, keep at the great work and thanks again. So love it. Thank you for correcting me. And I want everybody to note, like, that's like a example of the correct way to correct somebody. You can tell that there is no disparaging comments. No, you're an idiot and I'm smarter than you. It's just like, Hey, here's a a subtle thing you might want to think about. And gave me some context. It was very professionally done. And I appreciate it. Love it. And so I said many thanks. Love it. So if I understand correctly, the term Hanoverian is somewhat outdated. I can't wait to get that corrected on the next episode. And he replied, yes, as the Scottish historian Murray Pittock recently said in an online tutorial, there was a Hanoverian army in Hanover, <laughs> Hanover, Germany. So there you, there you go. And, uh, and then I might little, throw a little shout out to a guy that I'm uh, one of my new co-workers. Like I'm the new guy, but he's been working there for a while, but he's a new co-worker to me. And that's Matt Hanover. And uh, he probably doesn't ever, won't ever listen to this, but a little shout out to Matt because that's his last name. And apparently we know where his ancestors may have come from, which can be misleading because my mom's maiden name is Corbridge. And <laughs> I traced my Corbridges back to Lancashire. For a lot of generations, and I never have made the actual leap back to uh, Corbridge, England, the actual town, where we all just assumed that we came from. But genealogically, we can go back in Lancashire to the 1500s, and we still haven't made the connection. So if any of you know that, know anything about that, go ahead and reach out to me. I already told you how you could do that. All right. So, and then that was the... Uh, um, and I might, this doesn't, this isn't going back to any particular conversation I've had, but I just like Neil King should get an honorable mention here. He has provided consistent quality content on that Facebook group. And I just really appreciate his involvement in this whole thing. He was, he was on board very early on and you know what? There's a handful of other people that need to be acknowledged that have been with us for a long time are also posting um, really good content on here. Thomas Nesmith comes to mind. Nesmith? Thomas? Is that how you pronounce it? I hope I'm getting your last name right. Um, he He's always posting good stuff on there. And I, I should stop there because if I start making this into a list, it's going to get out of control and people are going to get offended because I didn't mention them. But the guys, if you haven't checked out if you want a little like a little bit more of a scholarly Facebook group to check out, it's not just a bunch of people posting pictures of thistles and Glencoe and whatever. There's a little bit of that in there, but there's more scholarly discussion on this Scottish history-oriented Facebook group than probably a lot of the other ones. Some really knowledgeable people in there. So go check it out. And the last person that I'm going to mention leads us right into our content for the day. So if you have been thinking, 
Clint, will you just get on with it? I clicked on this because I saw the title and I just want to learn about this. So let's do it already. Let's do it already. So that goes to Norman McLeod. Norman McLeod reached out to me with a really cool background and content on the McLeods that actually leans right into the Jacobite Risings. And remember how, if you listen to that last episode about, so I started off talking about the Frasers and why they changed sides during those, between the 1715 and the 1745 Risings. And then that led into, well, what other clans switched sides? And so that was the last episode was all about that. So there's, if you get done listening to this one, you want to go check those ones out because that's, that's, yeah, it's a, it's uh the last one. I didn't go too deep into anything. It was just meant to start a conversation and that's exactly what it did. And here's this conversation that Norman and I are having here. And he's, I mentioned, well, one thing I said in that last episode was guys, I'm just briefly touching on some of the things I found about why a certain clan switched sides between the 1715 rebellion and the 1745. So I didn't, and I didn't find any information on some of those. However, some of those clans that switched sides, I did find information on. And I remembered saying on the McLeod one that because the McLeods of Harrison Dunvegan switched sides. And I said, there's a story behind it. I don't own it well enough to talk about it, to, to tell it, but there's a cool story there. Well, Norman seized on that and hooked me up, reached out to me via email and sent me what I'm about to share with you now. So this is entitled, let me hear, let me see if I can, or the ship of the people. Did my best in Gaelic, guys. Reach out. Tell me if I hit it. He gave me two versions of it. One's titled, And the other one is entitled, Ship of the People. And I'm just going to read it to you. That's our podcast episode today. It's just me reading you what Norman sent me. I got permission from him. It's actually written by Donald J. McDonald, March 2010. All right, so that's the source. And the heading up here says October 1739. Norman MacLeod was a young man, 24 years of age. He was the leader of a party of five kidnappers who were chosen by himself for the purpose of capturing men and women from the Isle of Skye and the Bays of Harris and transporting them as an illegal shipment of quote-unquote human cargo to America. For what purpose? To be sold into slavery. Okay, you ready for this, guys? I'm just going to read this to you. This is the story of Norman MacLeod, his background. Just, just to let you know at the start, he's not the chief of the MacLeods. He is descended from a branch of them. And we're going to tell the story. So, now this is just me reading it. 24-year-old Norman brought the ship William to the islands and arrived at Skye. He then proceeded to snatch families from their crofts during the night and herded them aboard the ship, William. When Norman had finished his kidnapping spree, the ship had a cargo of Gaelic-speaking men, women, and children from the islands of Harris and Skye headed for the cotton plantations in America. This ship became known as Suyach Nanduinia. The William set sail with 100 upwards prisoners on board 
But at Rum, about five boys and girls were put ashore because they were too young. At Cana, about four more people and the corpse of a young woman who died on board were landed. And at Jura, an old sick man and two big-bellied women were also offloaded. Witnesses have stated that they did not hear that any care was taken of the prisoners put on shore. After riding out a storm and suffering some damage, the William tied up at the, at the wharves in Danagadi. Danagadi, Ireland. Guys, help me out. Somebody, somebody tell me how that's pronounced in the comments. By the way, comments on the Scotch Clans Facebook group underneath this episode. I usually read those. All right. So they, the William tied up at the wharves in Danagadi, Ireland, on 20th October, 1739, with 96 prisoners, allowing the ship to be repaired, stored, and watered for the voyage to America. The prisoners were landed and locked up in two barns, the men in one, the women and children in the other. They were confined, or imprisoned, watched and guarded by the orders of the said Norman MacLeod and William Davison, the ship's master. Fortunately, the prisoners, however, managed to escape on the night of the 4th November and dispersed themselves into parts of the neighboring country. William Davison, Norman MacLeod, plus several assistants, some of them armed, went in pursuit. One small party was caught on the road to Bangor. Bangor? Bangor? I don't know. I'm, I'm doing, I'm struggling, guys. Others were found hiding on a nearby boat. They were all bound with their hands behind their backs and driven with cruel blows to Danagadi, Danagadi, Danagadi. There they were flung, still bound, into the hold. In November 1739, the magistrates of Danagadi in Northern Ireland reported that they had received an alarming report that above 90 felons had escaped from a ship that had touched there on her passage from the highlands of Scotland to America and had dispersed themselves over the neighboring countryside. By this time, the authorities became aware of the situation, and the magistrates issued warrants for the arrest of Norman MacLeod of Unish and William Davison, but they had already made their escape. The magistrates then carried out a thorough inquiry. Members of the crew of the William, some of whom jumped ship out of abhorrence and hatred of the forcible carrying off the people, were interrogated, and near 30 women and children who had been carried off were brought before the magistrates. Many of them did not seem to exceed 10 years of age, and the remainder, for the most part, were young persons. It was noted that on the whole, they were, quote, miserable objects of compassion and the most helpless creatures that ever appeared to us, unquote. On being examined through an interpreter, they are found from the youngest to the oldest to agree in their circumstances that they had been forced with the most inhuman violence out of the islands of Skye and Harris and put on board the ship William of Danagadi, of which William Davison was the master. They were herded onto the ship, confined in the hold, and deprived of all manner of resource. They had never seen any court of justice, had never been tried for any crime, or ever, her, ever had any sentence of transportation or punishment passed on them. The authorities found the Highlanders temporary lodgings at Herdstown House, about a mile from Donagadi. From there, most of them settled on the lands of the Earl of Antrim. Very few, after great difficulties and trials, managed to return to the islands. Now, just a quick pause, Earl of Antrim. Was he a MacDonald? Interesting. Just something. I 
the, the McDonald's had possession of Antrim for a long time. I don't know how for how long. If they still do, or if that passed out of the family. But I know there's a McDonald connection there. And I wonder if that had anything to do with them settling there. Or if it was just close to Denogany. Anyway, go for that. Back to the story. Strange as it may seem, Norman MacLeod of Unish, born 1715, was supported in, his, in this outrageous affair by his father, Donald MacLeod of Berneri, taxman of Unish, commonly known as the Old Trojan, plus Norman MacLeod of Dunvegan. The estates of both Sir Alexander MacDonnell and MacLeod of Dunvegan had for many years suffered from the depredations of thieves and beggars, and a plan was concerted of getting rid of the pests. Research has uncovered that Alexander MacDonnell of Slate, in collaboration with his brother-in-law Norman MacLeod of Dunvegan, plus other influential people in the Isles, were implicated and planned to profit by deporting their clanspeople and their families to work side-by-side -side with slaves in the southern plantations of America in 1739. This event confirms the momentous change in attitude of the Sky Clan chiefs with regard to their clansmen even before the Battle of Culloden. When details of this sordid affair leaked out, the pair faced the threat of prosecution because none of the tenants nor their families had committed any crimes punishable by transportation. The two chiefs immediately defended themselves by saying the transported were convicted thieves, but subsequent investigation found only four or five of them had ever been accused of sheep-stealing and none convicted. MacLeod of Dunvegan wrote to Duncan Forbes in December 1739. He wrote that he was innocent of crimes. Sir Alexander MacDonald of Slate was married to Lady Margaret Montgomery, daughter of Alexander, 9th Earl of Eglinton. Lady Margaret took a kind and active interest in the welfare of the tenants on the MacDonald estates, which made her deservedly popular. Sir Alexander, being a little bit more humane than his predecessor, was also popular. That's what the history books say. Due to the considerable alarm and excitement that occurred in Skye and Harris over the kidnapping of families and the rumor that MacDonald of Slate concurred with the forcing of people away, prompted Lady Margaret to write a letter dated January 1, 1740, to Lord Justice Clerk Milton expressing her concern and stated the rumors were false. She also wrote in her letter, quote, that one Norman MacLeod, with a number of fellows he had picked up to execute his intentions, were the real actors of this affair, unquote. Both MacDonald and MacLeod pledged their support for the Lord President of the Court of Session Duncan Forbes' anti-Jacobite policies in the Highlands and thus avoided being brought to trial on account of the transportation issues. MacDonald of Slate nicknamed MacDonald of the Wars, and MacLeod were known for their Jacobite sympathies. This meant that they would not support any further Jacobite rebellions. Norman MacLeod of Unish remained for several years in the concealment on the other side of the Irish Sea, but in 1745 he returned to Skye. He joined the forces of the government and, through the influence of Norman MacLeod of MacLeod, received the captaincy of the MacLeod Independent Companies raised during the Jacobite Rising. Prince Charles Edward Stuart raised his standard at Glenshiel, and in anticipation of aid from the chieftains of Skye, sent Clan Ronald there to plead his case, only to find that both MacDonald and MacLeod were unwilling to help. Clan Donald fought on the side of the Jacobites during the 1745-46 uprising, these being Clan Ronald, Keppoch, and Glengarry. Clan Donald Slate did not take part in the Jacobite uprising, 
Therefore, the slate possessions remained intact. The Clan Donald story at Culloden is a separate story. After Culloden, on 16 April 1746, the clan system ceased and life on Skye became unsettled. The demise of the clan system made the Gaelic-speaking people of Scotland a product of a vanished era. This situation immediately made it clear that the fabled clan loyalties were all upward from the clansmen to the chiefs and did not apply in the reverse. Lost my place there, sorry. Lack of employment due to changes in farming directly caused the highland clearances. Further research of state papers concerning the Western Isles brings to light a letter undated but marked on the back 1739 and written by Sir Alexander MacDonald of Slate stating, Last year, MacLeod and I, in a conversation we had, were regretting that we could not light on some effectual method of preventing theft in the Isles or preventing the return of such thieves as were, from time to time, sent out off the island, and we agreed at last that the best method was to endeavor to get some clever fellow that would take them on board a ship and carry them over to the, pop to the plantations, and by that means we'd get rid of all the thieves we had discovered, and the terror of the thing would prevent theft in time to come. Accordingly, a young man in this country apprehended all the thieves in this country and put them aboard. He went, out to, he went on to state that 26 were taken from Chaudernish and near 50 from McLeod country. He added, There is no order of mine for apprehending anybody. There is no regular sentence of court passed on any of them, I mean for transporting. At this time, there is a great shortage of labor in the colonies, and it was quite usual for government to transport people convicted of crimes, especially that of theft and rebellion, to be endangered as servants. Many of the prisoners, after the Battle of Worcester in 1651, including the McLeods, were disposed of in this way. Prison accommodation was limited as well as nauseating and unfit for human habitation, and it was a merciful as well as a profitable way of disposing of prisoners. There was nothing considered wrong with slaves, as profits from the slave trade of West Indian plantations amounted to 5% of the British economy. The judicial powers varied this procedure by obliging some to enlist in the regiments that friends were raising. Much of this episode has been pushed under the carpet, but many documented cases have been explored by researchers, researchers trying to fathom out if it was the start of the Highland Clearances or just pure greed. The abduction of human and human trafficking originated in the highest echelons of Scottish society. Some headstones in the Danagadi area bear the surnames of Scottish Highlanders. On his father's death in 1783, Norman MacLeod of Unish, as eldest son, succeeded him as taxman of Bernary, where he introduced many improvements in the system of farming then prevalent in the Isles and began the manufacturing of kelp on a large scale, but by 1827 the kelp industry was finished. He imported stock of a superior kind for breeding. He was considered one of the most enlightened taxmen of his day in the Western Isles. It is said that he was so thoroughly ashamed in later years of his conduct as leader of the kidnapping episode of 1739 and that he strongly and angrily resented any reference to it. In the traditions of Bernary, his memory is still as having been kind and considerate to his tenants. He married a second cousin, Margaret, the daughter of Roderick MacNeil, 14th of Barra. Norman MacLeod of Bernary and his wife Margaret had five children, all died in infancy. 
Norman MacLeod, sixth of the MacLeods of Bernary, died at home in May 1803 in his 88th year and having left no surviving male issue, was succeeded in the representation of the family of Bernary by a nephew. The Slave Act in the UK, dated 25th March 1807, abolished the slave trade, but not slavery itself. Owning and working slaves remained legal until the Slavery Act of 1833. Transportation in the Highland clearances continued until 1881, and that wraps up that source there couple of points of interest i'm not wanting to go into a a super long episode here and we're almost at a half hour but there is kind of a couple of things i thought interesting in there there's actually a lot more but i'm going to mention a couple of them the possibility this is the start of the highland clearances that was an interesting thought um probably deserves more into that and i admit that the highland clearances uh, is not a part of scottish history that i mean I'm, i'm aware of them i know it was worse in some parts than in others i also know that there was such thing as lowland clearances um I, yeah, I don't, I don't claim to know a ton about that. It's not a strong area for me. So that deserves maybe a little bit more looking into. And I do think that would make good content for future episodes is talking about the interaction with maybe what was left of the clans and the Highland clearances. Another thing that I, that stuck out to me was the after Culloden, the, the assertion that after Culloden in on 16th April 1746, the clan system ceased and life on Skye became unsettled. I would add, or did it? I know that it did not help. That, But I just cannot imagine that if you are not near the battle, perhaps your chief even assisted on the, to, to go back on the lesson I learned from Lovett Fraser, the British government side, meaning not those sitting on the throne currently, meaning the Stuarts, maybe your chief was supporting, maybe it was a Monroe or some of these other clans that sided with the government. I can't imagine the battle happens. Your chief isn't being persecuted. Uh, Yeah, they come out with some laws here in the near future after this wraps up. But the whole social structure just doesn't come unwound overnight. That goes contrary to my intuition. So, bears some looking into. I'm just saying. Did the clan system evaporate into thin air after Culloden? Or was it more of a gradual process and vestiges of it, real, substantial vestiges of it, were still visible going into the 1800s and the main part of the clearing there? I don't know. Just some questions to ask. Uh, Really interesting concept. To, To wrap it up, what I got out of this is the reason that McLeod of Harris and Dunvegan, keep in mind the Lewis branch of the McLeods has ceased to exist as an organization. The people didn't go away. A lot of the people were, according to Aeneas McConaughey. McConaughey? Anyway, close. Um, according to that scholar, the Mackenzies who obtained, gained possession of Lewis absorbed a lot of them into their clan. Um, so, you only have the Harrison Dunvegan branch left, McLeod of McLeod, as a functioning unit by this time. And so, the reason that him and MacDonald of Slate join the government side in the 1745 rebellion was because the government side has some pretty significant dirt on them. Not that it seems, it seems like to me after reading this that 
the evidence, the, the damning evidence is not super duper strong, but there is enough of substance there that they were super careful about this, their decisions when the 45 came around and they find themselves on the government side. Even if it wasn't with all their heart, they're probably, uh, I, I believe that in the case of McDonald of Slate, was probably Jacobite in sympathies, um, but was not at all close to going in full, full send on that one because of this episode and what looked like connections on his part and Norman McLeod of McLeod to the kidnapping. So interesting backstory on the change of sides there from being Jacobites in the 1715 to government supporters, British government in 1745. And so just to wrap this up, a few things to throw out there. I already told you how to get a hold of me if you'd like to. If this if the content that I'm producing is at all useful for you, go to scottish-clans.com forward slash team. Follow that link on there and donate what would equivalent to a cup of coffee or some other drink of beverage of your choice. Energy drinks or any more at the gas station, three bucks per. Uh, I've got it set up there. You can do four bucks, eight bucks. Go in there. Throw a little cash, support the cause. It doesn't, it's not that much from you, but if enough people start doing it, it actually makes quite a bit of difference on my end. Um, I, I don't do this. Uh, it takes money. The subscription to Podbean takes money yearly. Some of my equipment upgrades and stuff like that. Um, I'm going to keep doing it regardless of who contributes or who doesn't. But um, if you can, if you want to jump in on this, if you appreciate this, you can, that's one way you can give back. Um, the online course I told you last time that got bumped to the right a little bit, there's a lot at the end of that tunnel. And I've got a plan for getting that up and going. If you want to listen more about that, go back. If that sounds interesting to you and that's the first time you ever heard me mention it, yep, online clan on the origins of the Scottish clans. And that's going to be coming out here in the near future. But I did have to bump it to the right a little bit with gigantic changes in my life right now. Switching a whole career, moving the family from one place to another, lots of stuff going on. So had to had to push pause on it, not stop. Just pause. Um, yeah, go over and check out scottish-clans.com. Got a lot of, that's, that's kind of a landing page. You can go to, centering, centering a lot of my efforts here related to this podcast and other things right there on that website. So anyway, that's what we got going on, guys. And, uh, and we got a lot of good content coming down the line for you. So stay with me, hit subscribe, notify, share it with friends, that sort of thing. And until next time, Martian Leavendrasta. and